She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The question that this committee must now ask is, why? Why did President Trump choose to replace Attorney General Sessions with an outspoken critic of the special counsel instead of with any number of qualified individuals who had already received Senate confirmation? At no time has the White House asked for, nor have I provided, any promises or commitments concerning the special counsel's investigation or any other investigation. Mr. Attorney General, we're not joking here, and your humor is not acceptable. Now, you are here because we have a constitutional duty to ask questions, and the Congress has the right to establish government rules. The rules are that you are here. We'll have plenty of stunts. We're going to have plenty of theatrics. Bring your popcorn. I'm thinking about maybe we just set up a popcorn machine in the back, because that's what this is becoming. It's becoming a show. And now, Stacey Washington. You gotta love it when somebody comes in live and direct, smoking hot like a Patriot missile straight to their brain. They were not expecting that. They were trying to scold him like he's a child and he was having none of it. A.G. Whitaker, acting A.G. Whitaker. That guy, I think he's gonna be pretty entertaining. <laughs> pretty fun to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we are going to be having nothing but the show, straight up show. We don't have another guest this hour of the program. We are so grateful that Chad C. Pecknell of Catholic University of America joined us last hour. But it's Friday, so if you want to call in, I want to talk to you. Give us a ring, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So the first thing I want to do is get back to the show sheet. Last hour, we took calls, and it was so good to speak with you. Uh, we need to get to the story about Kellyanne Conway. And I, 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 she's a strong woman. I've met her in person at the Eisenhower Executive Office Complex, and I enjoyed meeting her in person. She is, for such a tiny person, she is formidable. But there's something different about her being assaulted with her kids, or one of her children in tow. And I want you to listen to her talk about it because this is where we are. And we have to be prepared. And, you know, as, as everyone knows, I'm a proponent of the Second Amendment, and I believe that people should defend themselves. But there's also the issue of, you know, you have your children with you, you're in a public place, and you're caught unawares, and someone is grabbing you. That's what's happened here. Listen to her describe it. It's number four. I was uh, assaulted in a restaurant. and that Assaulted person, how? And that person has to go to court soon. Assaulted how? I was standing next to my daughter and many of her friends at dinner. I mean, she was right here, right next to me. And her friends were too. And somebody was grabbing me from behind, grabbed my arms, and was shaking me to the point I thought maybe somebody was hugging me, one of the other parents coming to pick up his or her daughter. And then as I turned around, it just felt weird. It felt like, well, it's a little aggressive. And I turned around and the woman had grabbed my hands. She was just unhinged. She just was, a stranger. She was out of control. I don't even know how to explain her to you. She just, her whole face was terror and anger and just, but she was right here and my daughter was right there. And she ought to pay for that. She ought to pay for that because she has no right to touch anybody. So she's... Um, she's standing there in a, in a restaurant, apparently the woman comes up behind her and, you know, takes hold of her. Now, remember, sometimes we have to refresh ourselves because if you're not into, you know, criminal activity, you're not, it's not like we run around and we're like, so what is the definition of battery? What's the definition of assault? We all know what assault is, you know, generally speaking, we know it involves one person putting their hands or some of their body parts on someone else. Um, and that can be, you know, it can be as little as a push. It's, it's assault. It's, uh, or it's battery. Battery is really just any touching at all, any unwanted touching, it's battery. But what we're talking about here is this woman, she claims she has expressed herself using her First Amendment rights. She says Kellyanne Conway is lying and she's going to be found innocent. She has actually said, I'm pleading innocent to this charge. But there's something more here. And the thing that's more is, there's no reason for Kellyanne Conway to make up a story like this. There's no reason for her to bring more attention to herself or her family or her children and to waste her valuable time, at, you know, showing up to a, a hearing and testifying and involving the police if nothing happened. So, you know, something happened. And really, I'm sorry, but it's 
not likely that people are going to believe that a liberal didn't actually lay their hands on her in light of the fact that all over the country we see the liberals military arm Antifa beating the stuffing out of old people, women, anybody who's at a protest rally. And this issue that they have with, and I've, I've shared my own stories of how I spoke in an event at Washington University's Lifelong Learning Institute. And afterwards, a tiny little woman came up and just stuck her finger right in my face. Like if I'd leaned forward too hard or something, she would have literally had her finger on me. It, that's, that's how she was just jabbing her finger in my face because she didn't agree with our proposals from Project 21's Black Leadership Council, the advisory board of National Center for Public Policy Research. We put out a document called a blueprint, and it just explains how we need the government out of inner city communities. We need the government out of the lives of black Americans so they can flourish and experience the American dream. And we have it set off into different content areas. And that's what I was there to speak about. Remember, I'm speaking about this issue and she could easily disagree without jabbing her finger in my face. Now, I didn't jab her back. I just took a step back and told her the conversation was over because if she's willing to jab me in the face before I've even answered her her you know she's got a problem with this she's got a problem with that and she immediately said well I I want to talk about this this conversation why are you ending the conversation I said because you're jabbing your finger in my face so I'm the reason that I'm drawing a correlation between these two stories is it's not out of the pale and ask any conservative if they've any conservative whether they're a woman or a man if they're in the public eye in any fashion, they'll tell you the same types of stories. We've sat around at conferences and, you know, after you get done eating, people will talk and invariably it turns to how rabid the opposition is and people tell stories. I was walking to my car after speaking at an event. People were literally following me to the car, yelling and chanting. You know, I, I'm, I'm in the parking lot. Someone sees me. They flip me the bird and start yelling out the window. I've heard these stories firsthand from people. The emails and the... The, the direct messages are just on a whole nother level. So why would we suspect that Kellyanne Conway was lying when we know the everyday average experience of conservatives is that when people don't like what you said, they don't mind pulling over in the middle of the road. I don't like what you did. I don't, you had a sign in your yard. It, it's like, it's, it's like basically holding yourself up for public ridicule at all times. And for Kellyanne Conway, being touched meant she could file charges against this woman. So it's not an issue of, well, I was expressing my First Amendment rights. That's talking. Once your hands get involved, you're no longer talking. You're no longer covered under the First Amendment. What I want to do is I want to get to a place in America where we can all have our own opinions without some people feeling like you might need to have some repercussions for it. Other than we all know that in the long term, the eternal repercussions for voting with the Democrats and siding with them on abortion and all of these other heart issues, these biblical issues where God has clearly mandated that one is wrong and one is right, that's going to have an, a, 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 an eternal consequence. But other than that, you're, it's America. You're allowed to be uninformed, ignorant, or willfully sinful without anybody laying their hands on you. You would think it would be the opposite, that Americans who don't like what's happening with the pro-life issue would be the ones running around putting their hands on people. But that's not it at all, is it? No, it isn't. You don't see us doing any of that stuff. So now I want to turn to a subject that has really, it took over the Facebook page. Uh, someone even felt it necessary to report me to another radio host here on uh, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, um, which is a useless endeavor. Um, and it has to do with this news story about the measles outbreak in San Antonio, Texas, which it's going on in multiple states. I want you to first listen to the audio, and then we're going to have a discussion about what is clearly a volatile issue, and I'm going to be issuing a couple of things, and an apology and a statement of fact. So let's listen to number two. The local doctor I talked to told me here in Texas, it's already an abnormal number of cases this time of year. He tells me it's one of the most contagious uh, diseases and that's so important for children to get vaccinated. There are now six confirmed cases of measles in Texas, including four children under the age of two. There are 
and there are the Houston area, one in Galveston and one in Montgomery County. These recent this recent announcement comes as a measles outbreak hits the Pacific Northwest, where more than 50 cases have been confirmed. Measles are extremely dangerous, and the doctor told me if somebody has measles and walked into a room and coughed, and then if 10 people came into that same room, he says nine out of 10 of those people could get measles. The number of people who are choosing not to vaccinate is increasing, unfortunately. There's a lot of misinformation out there regarding vaccines. Uh, one thing I want to make sure that your uh, patient uh, population, my patient population knows, is that vaccines are safe. Vaccines do not cause autism. Vaccines are safe. The doctor says important steps to take include washing your hands and not coughing around. Symptoms include fever, runny nose, cough, red eyes, and sore throat. Again, the number one thing the doctor encourages is to vaccinate your children. And for more information about measles, you can head to the CDC's website. So I shared that link and another link about the outbreaks that are happening in other states in America where they had about 50 cases in one state. And they're linking it to travelers from countries that don't have mandatory vaccinations like the Ukraine and those individuals having the measles and then people who haven't been vaccinated here in this country catching the measles, etc. I shared it as a public information type thing, and I typed in on both of them, make sure your MMR vaccine's up to date for your kids and your grandkids and for yourself, just in case the outbreak get, you know, spreads because of the level of contagion. Now, I did that, and uh, you know, obviously I post to my Facebook page during the day, and sometimes I do it on the fly where I post, and I don't hang around to see if people are making comments. So I posted the first one, which was a news story, and then the other one, which included that clip you just heard, within the span of about four hours. And when I came back to the page, I was surprised to see that the engagement was up over 12,000 or something like that. And there were a few hundred comments. And so I went through and I saw that I was being called by the good Christian folks on my page, uh, a paid shill for Big Pharma, um, a liberal, uh, a whole bunch of different things, at which I, I got a little hot under the collar and I posted you know, that this is my page, my page, my rules, period. Um, and if you hijack the thread with a bunch of discussions about whether or not vaccines are safe, I'm going to ban you. Now, this is where the apology comes in, because I probably should have just taken a deep breath and read through the comments and then closed out my app and taken some time to think about what was going on there. But instead, I posted that little caveat. In other words, don't hijack the, the thing to have a discussion about the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Well, after I posted that and pasted it into a bunch of people who were calling me names, uh, liberal, shill for big pharma, um, uninformed, people invoking my own kids. What, when your kids get sick, we'll see what happens. I'm leaving this page. I'm sick of uh, conservatives worshiping big government. None of these things are what I do. I actually didn't think I was telling anybody that they had to do anything because I wasn't aware that when I post a suggestion on my Facebook page, millions of Americans around the country, remember my page only has 80,000 likes, millions of Americans across the country are then automatically forced to do whatever I've suggested. I didn't know I had that kind of power. I told my husband this morning to be on the lookout because there's some things I've asked him to do very kindly and nicely, and he hasn't done them yet. And so I'm going to post on the Facebook page his name. Please do these things. And I expect it to happen because apparently I am an all-powerful being capable of forcing other people to get their kids vaccinated just by typing it on Facebook. So again, I apologize for losing my temper and putting on there that it's my page, my rules, period. That's true. But I didn't have to put that on there and I didn't have to paste it because that is a known quantity and I didn't have to reiterate it. But I have said many times on this air that I research before I hold a view. So saying that I'm uninformed is insulting because I have read a lot of things about the pages where people say they're, they're you know, vaccines cause autism, vaccines have made kids sick adverse reactions to vaccines. And I sincerely, my heart goes out to people who their children are suffering from something because I have a sick kid at my house. And I'm not even gonna go into all the details about what we go through at our house, but I have the, that experience under my belt as a mom. But at no point will any person use the fact that they like my page to change my mind about an issue. I will not change my mind because you order me to or threaten to leave my page. 
and you can report me to anybody you want to, I'm still not changing my mind. If you don't like that, simply unlike the page or wait until I ban you. I ban some and I'll keep doing it. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, our June tour of Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon is almost full, and September will be full before long. So if you want to go with us on one of these spiritual heritage tours in June or September, please check out the information now at spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. You know, one of the places we go is the Arlington National Cemetery. We usually do that on Friday morning, and that is just a majestic place. It's hallowed grounds for us as Americans. It's there we'll see the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. That's just one of the places we see on one of the days we're in Washington, D.C. If you want more information on the Spiritual Heritage Tours, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. In the field of psychology, there is what has come to be known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. Most of us have observed this in people who don't actually know a great deal but have this ignorant superiority. They don't have the ability or lack the self-awareness to know that they're incompetent. Now, this phenomenon was actually named by researchers who described a bank robber who covered his face in lemon juice thinking that would make him invisible to surveillance cameras. And I've seen this effect when I speak to high school students who confidently comment about subjects that they know hardly anything about. I thought about this psychological effect the other day while reading Michael Knowles complain about the latest erroneous statements by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He then concludes that the seed of millennial miseducation, which grew from the tree of the lack of knowledge, is finally bearing its rotten fruit. He also points to one survey listing so many historical facts that this generation doesn't know. But that doesn't keep them from speaking out dogmatically about topics they need to go back and learn. Now you can see this in a recent Twitter feud. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made some erroneous statements about corporations that appeared in The Atlantic. Washington Post fact-checker Glenn Kessler gave her statements three Pinocchios for its large number of factual inaccuracies. That's when this member of Congress jumped on Twitter to needle Kessler. And you can read the back and forth and see that she never accepts his assessment, even as he provides more and more contradictory evidence. What we need today is more humility and a willingness to stop and reflect rather than indignation and ignorant superiority. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. On, on a ban on, on late-term abortions, Speaker. Sorry. What do you think about the president calling on a ban on late-term abortions? It's really quite a sad thing when you know that what we're talking about is something that applies to the health and life, health, and ability to have other children of women. I um, hope that in his family he never has to face that crisis and, and uh, apply his attitude toward it. That was Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the reporter that you heard asking her the question is Carrie Pickett, formerly of the Daily Caller. I believe she's with Sirius XM right now. And Carrie Pickett is known for showing up in the halls of Congress and chasing legislators down to get a good question in. And the answer that Nancy Pelosi gave that, you know, it's it saddens her that the president wants to protect babies that have been born alive after an abortion just shows how far out of touch she is with mainstream America. Most Americans don't believe in late-term abortion, let alone aborting a baby after it's already been born. That is something that is not mainstream. And so it is interesting to hear her saying that, that it's a sad thing. Now, we did talk about it just a little bit. And I, 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 will, I will follow up to um, this whole thing about the Facebook and everybody being so angry and unliking and all this other stuff. You know, there are thousands, literally thousands of black conservatives out there providing fantastic content. There's more now than ever before. And so my take on all of these things, when people get disagree and they get so enraged that they're like, I'm unliking the page. 
I feel like if you're meant to be on my page, you'll be there. I feel like if you want to be there, you'll be there. And if you don't want to be there for something like us disagreeing on one issue, so that means we agree on pretty much 99% of the issues. And on one issue, we've now disagreed. And if you feel like that's enough to go, you don't want to listen to the show anymore. You're deleting the app for the Stacy on the right or the, the, you know, whatever you're doing. That's what you're going to do. And there's nothing I can do to change that because in your mind, if I don't agree with you on 100% of the issues, we're going to have this problem again someday. I follow people um, online, on social media, on radio that sometimes I disagree with what they've said. If I don't like it, if it's such a huge issue for me, if it's one of my core like value issues like pro-life, gun ownership, religious freedom, biblical worldview, then I just won't listen anymore. But I don't feel the need to make an announcement about it because in my mind, there's a place for me to get this content from. And if it's not from that person, it's from someone else. So it doesn't mean I don't care that people aren't going to be there because they're mad because I said, you know, you should probably get your MMR vaccine updated. Again, I didn't realize I could control people by simply making a suggestion, but who knew I had that kind of power? It's kind of exciting now. I'm going to try it out later, see if other people can be controlled by my suggestions as well. But sarcasm aside, it's not my job to change my mind every time someone disagrees with me. And it's not anyone else's job to assume that the decision or the opinion that I hold is uninformed just because it disagrees with their own. So that means I have to make a choice. And I always say the friendship, it, friendship's like a buffet. The friendship's already laid out. It's already prepared. It's, the, the, it's set. The table is set. You can come and partake or you can say that's not for me and you can skip it. That's how I view it. Because I'm not going to get my blood pressure up or just, you know, go crazy and spend days upset about an issue where I clearly haven't changed anyone's mind on the issue. People who are against vaccines are still against them. It's a whole nother day. This happened yesterday. And people who are supportive of vaccines or plan to, you know, follow the vaccine schedule haven't changed their minds about the issue either. No one has changed their mind. But people have gotten mad, lost their temper, blood pressure has gone up. And people think that if they just find someone else that I know and respect and tell them what I said, that all of a sudden I'm going to be like, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm not in control of myself. I'm not a grown woman with a husband and kids and a mortgage and my own life. I need to listen to what some other person says because I like and respect them. Their opinion is far more informed than mine. Apparently, we've never met. You're not going to see me doing that. And Calling other people in like the Calvary or piling on in groups, you're not changing my mind. Uh, Clearly, we've not met, but it's okay. You'll learn if you hang around. And if you don't hang around, God bless. Thank you. Next. See ya. And that's how I feel about it. And I hope that's not offensive to people. I hope this is just an information sharing exercise and that people will get over it whichever way they decide to go. God bless. All the rest. Next. So now I want to talk about this, the, the details on this uh, Justice Roberts joining the liberal wing. And this is important information for us to know because liberals are already claiming that Justice Roberts and the, the liberal wing, the 5-4 vote late on Thursday evening, is a victory for the pro-aborts. But it's not. It's actually just waiting to see what the other court rulings will show before they decide to pick this case up or to leave it where it is in the springtime. So in the next couple of months... They will make a decision, the entire Supreme Court, on whether or not to pick this case up and hear it in October of this year. At issue is this idea that in Louisiana, if you are an abortion doctor operating an abortion clinic or a private practice that does abortion and you and it's outside of a hospital and you don't have admitting privileges, that you can't do abortions anymore. What they're saying is if you're doing abortions in a clinic and something goes wrong, Instead of just dialing 911 and trundling your patient off to the hospital without anybody to tell the receiving doctor what happened, you would go with your patient and you would continue on in helping your patient through the difficulties because you would have admitting privileges. You'd be able to go with your patient in the ambulance, get to the hospital, admit your patient to the hospital, and then consult with other doctors. Now, it sounds pretty logical, doesn't it? But what you don't understand is that at a lot of hospitals, you know, that they don't, the doctors that are doing the abortions, they don't have admitting privileges because they have other things on their record. 
They don't have a good relationship with the hospital because they haven't developed a relationship with them because all they do is abortions. So it's a little harder for them. And, and we find this all over the country. Abortion doctors often do not have relationships with the hospitals near their clinic or their clinic is out in the boondock somewhere and doesn't have a hospital near it. Or if it does, the doctor themselves doesn't have admitting privileges. And there are a host of reasons why. If we're talking safe, legal, and rare, the safe portion of that slogan would mandate that any doctor who does abortions, it's an invasive procedure, it can be life-threatening if done incorrectly, complications can threaten the life and health of the mother, you would definitely want that person to have admitting privileges. It raises the standard of care for the women who are being given the service. And as repugnant as I find abortion, we... Again, it's the law. Until it's repealed, it should be done in the most safe fashion possible. So what we're seeing is Planned Parenthood has always fought clinic safety regulations. They've always said we don't, we don't need to abide by the same safety regulations as eye care centers, LASIK care centers, um, outpatient surgery centers. They, they feel they're a completely different and separate animal, and they don't want to have to abide by it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, that it should be your number one red flag. If you're thinking, well, Planned Parenthood provides reproductive health services, why would you go to a place that won't get admitting privileges to get something as, as really it's like a serious issue dealing with women's health care? Why would you go to a place that that's their mantra is we don't want to have admitting privileges at hospitals for our doctors? It's just, as the caller said, it's a cold, hard place that you don't really you don't belong there. Go to a regular clinic. Go to one of the federally uh, mandated clinics and, and resource centers that are they're federally funded. There are 33,000 of them across the country. Um, they have a sliding fee scale. So, you know, it's basically what you can afford to pay. The taxpayers supplement the rest. There are always other viable, healthy alternatives than the options. Don't go to Planned Parenthood. So I thought it was interesting that what people are saying, callers, people are saying online, is that Justice Roberts has been compromised. I don't know. Like, we don't have any proof that he's being blackmailed or that the NSA has something on him. I've seen all that stuff, but we don't have any proof of that. But we do know that one of the simplest reasons, like if we use the keep it simple, you know, uh, silly <laughs> acronym, the simplest answer could be the one that's closest to the truth, which is you had Justice Kennedy he was seen as the most powerful vote on the court because he would swing to the left and to the right and no one ever knew what he was going to do. And he was able to carve out a legacy doing that with both sides of the wings kind of disliking him and fearing him and really waiting on him to make a decision. It, I remember reading articles over and over again. This issue is before the Supreme Court. We know how the left and the right are going to vote, but now we're waiting to see what Justice Roberts will do. Will he give in to this side or will he side with this side? That sounds pretty tantalizing. Um, justice Roberts has been the, you know, he's the, the top justice, but he's not gotten the same kind of attention except for that Obamacare ruling, which was kind of negative attention. Now he has the opportunity to get it. So perhaps that simplest answer is the reason why he's doing this. We also don't know what he's going to do should they decide to take up the case. If they take it up, they have the opportunity to make new precedent on whether or not clinic safety is really important. Either it's important or, you know, just do whatever you want. Any old person, not even a doctor, you know, you wonder, will there be someone who'll bring a case against the new law that just passed that Governor Cuomo signed into law in New York City about how, New York State, about how anyone can do an abortion. You don't even have to be a doctor. Does that sound right to you? Does that sound like what they proclaimed when they passed Roe v. Wade as, you know, the Supreme Court's law of the land. It doesn't sound like it to me. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, we have to wait until the spring to see whether they'll take the case up. And then in the fall, you have to see what happens with all the other cases and the rulings there and how those play into the arguments and everything that they bring before uh, the Supreme Court in, in the fall term in October. You can go to SCOTUS blog and find really good writing about what's happening at the Supreme Court and keep up with the cases. And I sometimes I, I sometimes do spend some time on there just reading and trying to get up to snuff on everything that's going on. So additionally, additionally, news um, of the most fun. And I know I've been teasing this, but we are so close to having the 
blog ready to go with the new design and the simpler content. It'll be much easier to navigate and do everything that you like to do. And I also want to say for the newsletter, I've not been really keeping up with the weekly newsletter, but I have been sending out blasts when like we had the Corey Lewandowski interview, uh, the, the Mike Huckabee interview and sending those out and also letting everyone know about the best in the Midwest Missouri tax documentary. And so we're kind of toying around with how to do that. Um, it's still the same concept. I ask people to subscribe. You subscribe. If you don't like what you're getting in your email box, the unsubscribe button is down at the bottom. We follow the rules on that and we have a privacy policy now. So we're, you know, we're moving along there and I hope that that's going to be something that people are really excited about and that it fulfills a need uh, connected up with the show. So now we're getting closer to the end of the segment, but I wanted to get to a couple more things it's Open Line Friday. If you want to join in, hey, 866-963-2037. I also need to mention our partnership with India Partners. We are providing one day of safety for $7.08, and we're asking you to join with us on that. Uh, rescue a child, provide a day of safety in India's red light districts. These kiddos really need the support that India Partners gives to them, a safe place to stay. Uh, away from the red light district and safety and, and the gospel and also food and shelter and clothing and warmth and schooling. Give now at 877-616-2396, 877-616-2396, or go to AFR.net and give there. We would appreciate your help. So far, we're doing really great with our uh, goal of a thousand days of safety per day, and it's going just fantastically, but we need you to help us keep that momentum up. Uh, so you can also call in. Call lines are open, 866-963-2037. So apparently the Congress is closing in on some kind of a border deal. They're even saying the president might take the deal. This is a deal on border fencing, by the way. The first thing we have to say is, um, I wonder what Ann Coulter will say because she's been pretty tough. Like if you've seen any of her interviews she's done recently, she has been on a tear, very upset with President Trump, um, not, not happy with the way things have been developing. But House and Senate negotiators are closing in on a possible border security agreement that would fund new technology, additional border patrol agents, and some kind of fencing in certain areas along the southern border. Now, apparently there's no mention of a wall per orders of the Democratic leaders who vehemently oppose it. And President Trump seems to be more flexible on whatever the deal entails. But I'm wondering if that's because he has found another way to get the border wall done. And so he's just going to do whatever he can do with the Democrats and then go his own way on the actual wall. So apparently there are serious negotiations going on. And uh, there's going to be some kind of announcement within the next 72 hours and, of course, that has to happen because the next government shutdown is triggered on the 15th of February, which is coming up. Democrats appear willing to agree to funding for some new fencing in targeted areas and upgrades to existing barriers. And that is what Democrats have said off the record to the Washington Examiner. Now, what we don't know is whether or not the president is going to stick to his number of $5.7 billion or if he's going to continue on. Um, you know, kind of in a negotiation posture and go down a little bit if they come up a little bit and, you know, meet somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, some of the Democrats who are working on the negotiations are saying that the president seems really actually conciliatory. And uh, he seems like, you know, he's reasonable and is urging them to come up with some kind of a proposal that he can look at. So uh, I, I like it. I like the fact that there's at least some discussion going on, but I know the president, I, I just, I feel like he's not going to give up on the wall funding unless he has another mechanism by which he can get it done. And, you know, I don't know anything more than what we were told last week when uh, Corey Lewandowski was on the show and he'd been to the uh, State of the Union preview and the State of the Union was very strong. And that, that speech popped the president's approval rating up to 49%. It's an improvement because he was at 42 percent. I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But we got to keep praying about it, um, which is a suggestion because I can't make you do anything. Or can I? <laughs> All right. When we get back from the last segment of the show and your calls, 866-963-2037. We'll be right back. 
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren has proposed a wealth tax on all assets in excess of $50 million. Democrats want to eliminate the Trump tax cuts, which have the American economy and GDP booming. But why? Why would Warren, worth a tidy $8 million herself, propose this ridiculous, unworkable idea? Because ginning up covetousness is a great way to deflect from a lack of successful policy positions. Warren is aware that Democrats own inner city poverty, generational welfare, the lost war on drugs, and the breakdown of the American family. Democrats own the increase in school shootings because they own the public schools. Rather than reassessing failed policy positions, it's more fun to take more failed ideas, dress them up in rainbows, and peddle them as new ones. Don't be fooled. Democrats are repelled by ideas that work. Self-sufficient, gainfully employed, happily married people don't make good potential voters. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk, nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. Doc, I've been feeling a little out of sorts lately. Can you help? Well, let's try a few questions. What do you think of when I say the word Roku? Oh, my wife and I used to love that dance when we were younger. (laughs) Yes, I'd say you're a little out of touch. What do you recommend? I recommend you listen to AFR. American Family Radio. Available on Apple and Android products. Amazon Alexa. And now available on Roku. And then we'd whip and then we'd nay-nay. Oh, it was wonderful. This is House Call for Health. As the country grapples with a growing opioid epidemic, studies show there are no signs of it slowing down in the near future. New research published in the Journal of the American Medical Association is predicting by the year 2025, deaths from illicit opioid abuse are expected to skyrocket by 147%. More than 49,000 people died from opioid overdoses in 2017. Without any public policy intervention, the researchers predict that number will hit over 80,000 by 2025. The use of fentanyl on its own, as well as mixed with other illegal drugs like cocaine and heroin, is what researchers find is fueling the crisis. They say that interventions that target prescription opioid misuse aren't enough and that the medical community needs more resources to treat people who are addicted in order to curb the epidemic, adding criminalizing those who misuse opioids is not a solution. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Joy Piazza, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I would ask members on both sides of the aisle to make those questions clear for the record so we know what must be addressed at the future proceeding. Now, in your capacity as acting attorney general, have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the special counsel? Mr. Chairman, uh, I see that your five minutes is up, and so uh, I'm... We, 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 I am here, I'm here voluntarily. I, we have agreed to five-minute rounds. And the committee. I think that's a fine place to end the five-minute rule. The committee will end, will, 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 will come to order. I will point out that we didn't enforce the five-minute rule on, 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 on attorney, uh, acting Attorney General Whitaker. We will. I understand, Mr. Chairman. I was just saying that might be a good breaking point at that well, point. so he's funny right he's funny and um he's adding some levity to this 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 you know he's he's there he's testifying and yesterday he like this whole thing started before he even got there because the democrats had uh, said in the committee it's like 23 of them and 13 republicans they said well you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna issue a subpoena and he said per long-standing uh department of justice policy A.G. Whitaker said, if you issue a subpoena, then I won't show up. So I'll show up of my own free will. But if you subpoena me, then I will not show up. So they had to kind of dance around that. So the guy knows his law. He knows what the standing procedures are. He actually seems to me as if he's just like he's in it to win it, but he's laid back about it. He's willing to laugh. He's willing to crack a few jokes. He's not taking it seriously because it feels to him like a witch hunt. And... You know, my opinion is that 
that's what it is. It's it. There is no, um, there is no evidence that has been presented thus far that supports the idea that the president is some kind of Russian agent. It's just not there. The the info's not there. The there's nothing there. So anyway, now we were just talking about the border, the negotiations. And there's a report over at Hot Air saying that Trump is moving away from the emergency declaration at the border and might use legal executive authority instead. Now, we've talked about this here on the show, right? Uh, We played that audio from the Republican uh, congressman who he was talking about, look, here's what we've got. These are transnational criminal organizations, but they're also terrorist organizations. They operate like terrorist organizations. And so it, you know, a simple declaration to that effect would completely remove Congress from the equation. So this piece is up, it's by Allah Pundit, and he says he hasn't heard of any executive authority that would allow him to reappropriate Pentagon funding, except Ann Coulter's suggestion that Trump can claim inherent authority as commander in chief and order the military to protect the country. So this is actually a third option besides the, the declaration uh, of a national emergency and the opportunity to use, uh, you know, the, the designation of terrorist organization for the drug cartels. So this is interesting. Um, Alapundit says this is more dubious than the emergency decree because the Supreme Court could possibly say that he's trying to move the power of the purse from Congress to the president uh, by utilizing the national security angle. I just, I can't believe that we have to go through all of these hoops and, you know, tap dancing this way and that backflipping and, and contorting ourselves to find a way to get funding for something that is a part of the constitutional mandate of maintaining our national sovereignty and protecting the homeland. This is kind of crazy. So Alapundit says that an, an emergency declaration is a bad precedent, but legal executive authority to achieve the same sort of power grab Uh, would risk setting a similar type of a situation where a later Democrat president could say, "Mm, I have the legal executive authority to do X, climate change, you know, uh, that that story out of New Jersey. In fact, when we get done with this, we'll we'll pivot over to that. So there's this horrible idea that's been legislated into law and signed into law by the governor of New Jersey about uh, LGBT education, history. So we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, there is no way, according to Alapundit, that the president does anything without being sued. And he should play the best hand that he has, which in Alapundit's opinion is the emergency declaration. If you're intent on brawling, then why pull any punches? But Politico is saying that the president is cornered because he's run out of options. He won't get wall money from Congress. He'll get money for fencing, but it's not going to be $5.7 billion. He won't get money from the Pentagon if he doesn't declare an emergency. Um, and, and I actually agree with him. I don't think he's ruled that out. He's not talking about it as much anymore. But remember, the most recent events the president has attended, you had the State of the Union where that was not the proper venue in which to declare a national emergency. He had to educate the American people and call for unity and be the adult in the room. Then after that, he's had the national uh, prayer breakfast, and that obviously is not a place to declare a national emergency. And then there are other things that are happening now. So the opportunity for him to say something about it, it's coming up. We are, what, this is February 8th? So we got about another week for them to negotiate and figure out what they're doing before the president has to step to the podium and address the American people about what his next steps are. So Alapundit says the question is simple. Does the president who ran as a strong man care more about preserving the constitutional principle that the legislature controls funding for government priorities, or does he care more for saving face on his signature immigration campaign promise? So... Which, which, which sounds more palatable. Um, perhaps the president could be convinced by McConnell that there are 67 votes in the Senate to overrule the decree. And that would be a grave political humiliation because the Senate Republicans um, 
would really be risking their own reelection campaigns if they did something like that. And that that is a very serious and real possibility that Republicans in the Senate could find themselves ousted from power for separating and cleaving off from the president on the immigration issue. If the American people even get a whiff of the idea that Senate Republicans don't support the president on immigration, a lot of them are going to have to pay the piper during their reelection campaigns. And it's, this is not a burn that will go away. The American people on the right, the ones who voted for Donald Trump, voted for him in part because of the Supreme Court justices that he would appoint and because he said he would end this immigration issue. If the Senate Republicans don't want to support the president on that, then they're imperiling their own opportunity to go back and stay there. That's where I am on it. And I, I think I've spoken to enough people and seen the polling on it. The, the president enjoys really high approval among the base of Republican voters. So Senate Republicans, would it's a horrible choice for them to try to go against him on this. But possibly if they tried to override his, you know, his, his decree, um, then there would be, of course, court battles because the liberals would sue. There'd be, you know, all over the place. But the court battle is actually, according to Alapundit, okay for Trump. Because if he wins, he gets the wall. If he loses, he can say he fought all the way and the rhino judges took the victory from him. His baseline consideration for all things, according to Alapundit, seems to be what's best for Trump. But I disagree with that. I don't think the president is, is trying to do what's best for himself. What's best for him is to start compromising now and to maybe swing to the middle and convince the American people on the right that a middle ground approach is better and to try to coax the entire country to middle ground. If he did that, it would be a replication of what we saw with Bill Clinton when he worked with the, uh, the Republicans under Newt Gingrich and they ushered in you know, economic prosperity. And he, he basically was like, what deals can we cut? And they cut deals together. They, they made things happen together. And it really was able to kind of stand him up legacy-wise because people remember the economic prosperity. And then the Republicans damaged their own brand by impeaching him for the affair with Monica Lewinsky. And the American people didn't like it. So this is an opportunity for Donald Trump to say, look, history shows that I, all I got to do is pull together a coalition of Americans that's big enough to get me reelected that gets some of what I promised done, but also is bipartisan and is unifying and I could be reelected. So if this was only about what President Trump wanted for himself, what wouldn't he be doing that? Why would he have shut the government down? So I totally I like Ala Pundit. I, I get his writing. Sometimes I read it. I'm like, wow, you know, that it's some brilliant stuff going on here. But I don't agree with him on this. The president is not baseline consideration what's best for President Trump. You know what's best for President Trump? To serve out one term and go back to being famous and rich and private and to see his businesses flourish and not lose, you know, a few billion dollars a year in in uh, wealth because he's the president of the United States, to not have fully 50 percent of Americans hating him so much they want to see bad things happen to his kids. That's what is best for Donald Trump. What, what is best for him is that he would have never run for the presidency at all. He was popular before he did this. He really had sky's the limit for his businesses and everything else, the opportunities. Everything was in his favor. Even the unpopular things that he'd done, it was no, nobody cared because he wasn't running for the presidency. So I, I disagree with that. So the other thing that I think is pretty interesting is that people have heard, you know, we all heard Nancy Pelosi say there won't be another shutdown. Um, how, how, how in the world um, is it that she can determine whether or not the president will allow another shutdown to occur? If he's serious about getting the wall funding, he may go at it again. I mean, he seems like he's kind of unperturbed by the whole situation. And it would take a while before, again, a few weeks before we got to the point where air traffic controllers weren't showing up to work or, or you know, LaGuardia would have to be shot down because of TSA. He could have already created provisions for handling those types of situations because of what happened the last time. I just think it's kind of silly for us to trust anything that Nancy Pelosi says. So, um, and no, the president isn't looking to increase legal immigration. I think he's looking to increase the amount of assimilation that goes on because that's a benefit to America. 
So let's talk about this New Jersey thing. Um, the governor of New Jersey has just signed into legislation this, it's a, it's a curriculum mandate. What it does is it says that you have to teach lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender history, and also history about disabled people. Um, I don't know why they're lumping in disabled people with that group, but it's in the law. You have to teach it in public schools. Private schools are exempted from the mandate. So the issue is that it flies in the face of parental control for them to take on an issue as fraught as LGBT, you know, history, as it were. First of all, it's public school. So you've got Christians going there. You've got Muslims. You've got every, you know, Jewish people, any, any kind of different group. You have all mixed in together in the, these educational facilities and they're taxpayer funded. So for him to sign a law like this and not consider the unintended consequences, which are that you're going to be teaching things that don't go with what kids are learning at home and what they're learning on Sunday or Saturday, you know, whenever they're going to church or synagogue or, or temple or whatever, this is, this is, again, an overreach. It's too much sucking in of the power by this governor. He says that interested stakeholders and groups are really excited about this because it will reduce the amount of bullying. Since when? Since when did including that kind of history reduce bullying in schools? Kids don't bully each other when they know their parents are going to hold them accountable. Kids don't bully each other when they know if I'm caught, you know, elbowing someone to the ground or beating them up for their lunch money, I'm going to get an in-school suspension. I'm going to lose all my privileges and then I'm going to have to go home and deal with my parents. That's what stops bullying. Kids do not sit in class and listen to history about LGBT and go, oh, is that true? All of these contributions have been made by LGBT people? Well, then I guess I just won't bully that kid at lunch and take his lunch money. I guess I won't beat him up after school. I've never heard of anything like that. If a kid is a bully, you know, quite honestly, it's often because the parents are bullies. Um, and even if the parents aren't bullies, they're bullies because they're getting away with it. The minute you start holding them accountable, they stop bullying. It, it's just that simple. Instead of making up all these, it, it's just like poppycock on steroids, people should start to go back to the basics. You really want to see kids make changes in school? Put the Ten Commandments back up. Make Bible a class where they, it, at, by the end time they graduate from high school, they've read the entire Bible through, at least a couple times. Use the Bible as a resource for studying um, literary works. And, you know, you can find the correlations to stories in the Bible and how they're foundational uh, to stories that fictional writers have written or the morality laws and, and, and things that you see in the Bible, how those correlate to certain stories that have been written by authors in American literature and how they use those things are connected up. This is just a mistake. And I hope the people of New Jersey, if, if they can't get it undone, they take their kids out and put them somewhere where they don't have to worry about this indoctrination. All right, it's Friday, y'all. It's time for the weekend, time for unplugging and getting in the pew and enjoying ourselves. You're free to do whatever you want. I can't make you. But my suggestion is that you enjoy the weekend. God bless you from the heartland. And thank you for making American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk your home. See you Monday.